Thanks, Laura. Morning, folks. It's great to be with you. Forgive me, I'm, my notes haven't made it off my laptop yet today. I don't normally do this. but um, We are continuing our Churches That Heal series. Um, and hello if you're watching on YouTube. Um, it's great. However you're watching, we're glad that you're with us. Um, in April 1993, there was a song released in the US charts. It peaked at number 29, although it did better around the world in the charts. But tw- 10 years later, in 2003, Q Magazine, which is a British music magazine, ranked this song at number 31 in their list of 1,001 best songs ever. Two years later, in 2005, a US music magazine, Blender, ranked it 238 in their list of the greatest songs since you were born. It received favorable reviews from most music critics. One guy wrote that it has a comforting melancholy. Somebody else called it the bridge over troubled water for the 90s. Another, another uh, critic called it unabashedly emotional. It was covered by many artists, including charity singles to raise money for the earthquake in Haiti. And in 1995, the Samaritans in the UK launched an advertising campaign consisting solely of the lyrics of this song in response to the high suicide rate among men who didn't come to the Samaritans. Anyone worked out what it is yet? The music, the music buffs among you. I'll play it you in a second. Why do, but listen, why does a song like that get so much traction? Why does one song particularly, or a few songs, sort of get that kind of traction over the years? I mean, it has a beautiful melody, it has some very straightforward and fresh lyrics, really accessible. But the real reason that a song like that gets traction is because it's, it's what we have, it's what we call, it has what we call a universal song vision. It's saying something that everybody or many, many people can relate to, can identify with. There's an emotional connection. Um, I'm, just, I'm not going to play the whole song. It's, um, play the first minute of it. It's a song by a band called R.E.M. And it's called Everybody Hurts. Have a look. Anybody get it? Anybody work it out? Yeah, you did, Steve. Great, okay. Have a look at the video. There's, a, there's quite an arty video that goes with it. Some of you might know this song as, oh, that one. Right, okay. It's fine.
You can look it up on YouTube. The, ver- the lyrics of that first verse, when your day is long and the night is yours alone, when you're sure you've had enough of this life, well, hang on, don't let yourself go because everybody cries, everybody hurts sometimes. Um, one of the guys in the band who wrote it said this, the reason the lyrics are so typically straightforward, atypically straightforward, is because it was aimed at teenagers. Interesting that, isn't it? It's tended to work, though, for people of all ages, because the truth is everybody does hurt sometimes. Life can be really hard. And we all have to deal with trauma and pain and disappointment and crises and grief. And if we've never had a chance to properly process and let go of that stuff, honestly, it can stay with us for years, decades. And it can come out in all kinds of ways as well. Habits and addictions and unhealthy relationships and mental health challenges. Maybe some of us are living through that, some of that stuff right now. That's just reality for many, many people. That's always been the case, and it feels like it's even more real, doesn't it? Post-pandemic in our culture, it feels like many people are struggling one way or another. And even though that song, I believe, does describe what is many people's reality, I also believe that the heart of God is not for that. The heart of God is for healing and freedom and transformation. Yes, the pain is real. But God does not want us to carry it around with us for years. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. Life and have it to the full. God says, behold, I am making all things new. We've sung about it this morning. Your light breaks through the light. We're coming alive. This is the freedom we, you died for. That's what we've sung in our worship this morning. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come. And as a church, our desire is to reflect that heart of God, is to see people move beyond pain and into freedom and life. We want to be the most welcoming, the most accepting, and the safest place possible for people who need to come and find help and healing. That's a key part of our mission and our message, and anyone is welcome here. No matter what's going on, no matter where you are on your journey, no matter how much pain we are carrying And by the way, if you're somebody who's here this morning and you're not a believer, you wouldn't say that you're following Jesus at this stage, well, this talk is really for you. I hope you get something out of it. You're very welcome to to listen. And maybe I hope that actually there's more in it for you. You see, some people think that you actually have to get your life sorted out before God will accept you, before you can get close to God. People think we get this idea that we'll be judged for what we've done wrong, that the way we've lived or the decisions we've made, that we're not allowed into God's kind of party until we've passed the test or achieved a score or crossed the line or prayed a prayer or somehow got ourselves into a place where we're acceptable. But nothing could be further from the truth. If you really honestly think that about God, then I'm really sorry to have to tell you you've got it completely wrong. Completely wrong. God says, come as you are, I know who you are, I know what you've done, and I still love you, and I couldn't love you any more than I do now. But he also says, don't stay as you are, you can find life here. And so we've been doing this series, Changes That Heal, perhaps you can put the first slide up for me. Um, We want to be the most welcoming and safe place for people who are struggling. We've been exploring how we can recreate those safe spaces together with other people on a similar journey, working with the three elements of grace and truth and time to get to a place of healing and transformation. The talks have been really great. The past few weeks have been fantastic, and if you missed them, do catch up. 
And today we're digging even more into the subject of pain and specifically how to process our pain, how to get healing from our pain and what the Bible has to say about that. And so as we have with other weeks, I'm going to pass over to Henry Cloud um, for this week's uh, video. It's about 10 minutes and he's going to talk a little bit about that and then I'm going to come back and talk a bit more afterwards. Over to Henry Cloud. Okay, guys, so now we're ready for the third big issue. We talked about bonding, we talked about boundaries. Now we got another one to face, but it's kind of fun, really, because it can give you a lot of freedom. And that is this problem of dealing with the coexistence of good and bad. Now, let me tell you how this started. It started with you and I, you know, Adam and Eve, that's the prototype. We were created, the way you're designed and I'm designed, we were actually designed to live in a perfect world with perfect other people, everything around us perfect, and we were perfect. So what do you do when you're perfect? You just go live life. I mean, you, you know, you, you go and you play golf and, and you got to learn how to play and all that, but you, you know, things go pretty well and you have a relationship and you're naked and unashamed. When was the last time you felt that, by the way? You know, there's no problems, and relationships don't have conflicts, and everything's great until you keep reading the story, and then there's a fall. And what happened was, when we fell from our ideal state, we fell hard. And there's a problem. Not only did we fall hard and bottom out, where everything's affected by this thing called sin, missing the mark, but we took with us the very idea and design and memory of perfection that lives within us, the design how we ought to be. So we fall, and here I am like I really am, and at the same time, I can imagine what a perfect me ought to look like. I can imagine what a perfect, you know, presentation ought to look like. I can imagine what the perfect spouse would look like. I can imagine what the perfect church would look like. And so that's rolling around in my head, and then I find that I'm less than that, and they're less than that. And so what do I do with this gap? See, that's the big problem. And there's a natural way we deal with that gap. When I'm not the way that I wish I were, my ideal perfect self, guess what I do? Here's where I am. You know what I do with this gap? Naturally, I judge it. I feel bad about it. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel ashamed about it. I feel guilty. I feel like a loser. And I look out and I tend to think everybody else has it all together and I compare myself. And then I feel not good enough. Or you're in a relationship and you know how that person ought to treat you, but they don't. What do we do with that gap? Well, you know, we, we judge them. So you should treat, and we hold grudges and, and all of that. And that's not even to begin to talk about the very problems in the gap. Life ought to be like this. You should have been loved your whole life perfectly, but you were abandoned. You should have been loved, but you were abused. You should have been loved, but you were rejected. You should have been loved, but you were used. So now we got a couple of big piles of things that aren't good. We got the pain, 
So that's the pain of rejection and abuse and hurt and woundedness. That all sits in here somewhere. And then we've also got the bad stuff that actually belongs to us. You know, the, our own failures, the ways we've failed people, the ways that we have hurt people, the ways that we have failed to reach our goals, the ways that, that you know, just mistakes and problems. So now we sit with knowing how I ought to be, how the world ought to be, and how you ought to be in relation to me, and we sit with this reality of how it really is. Or what if you're, for example, you know, you're struggling with an addiction, and you go to somebody and say, well, you know, God says do this, and you shouldn't do that, and you know, okay, I'm going to try, but it, 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 what do you do with that guilt and the shame? What we see is these people going to the altar 63 times in a row, feeling bad and repenting, but nothing ever changes. And that sometimes is what we see as the Christian answer. Know how you ought to be, feel bad about it, repent, go do it again, or try to do better, and then you end up doing it again. Then somebody who's suffered through that and is on the recovery side, they come to them and they say, dude, you know what? You're not going to be able to pull this off on your program, which is basically having this perfect standard, and you feel like you got to live up to it, and you don't. Why don't you come over here with me? I'm going to take you to a recovery meeting, all right? Which is basically a small group that operates with biblical principles. The biblical principle is not to think you're going to live up to the standard of the law and just get better. <laughs> Instead of saying, I'm a failure and getting judged by that or for that, they walk in and say, Hi, I'm a Henry, I'm a whatever aholic. The group goes, Hi, Henry, welcome. Right then, everything begins to change. See, that is the difference in the gospel's way of dealing with pain and every other way. Because the gospel says, when we're stuck in that cycle, Romans 7, the good that I would do, I don't do, but I do the very bad thing I said I wasn't going to do. Well, who's going to set me free? Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who have faith in Jesus. And once that level of safety is there, then we start to deal, and then we start to talk, and then we start to grieve, and like I said earlier, start to open up. And if you find a safe place without judgment and shame, and you can say, I'm really struggling with this, or struggling with my kid, or I'm struggling with this issue, or I'm hurting, or whatever. I mean, think of going to the doctor and takes the x-rays, and then they shame you for having a, a tumor or a cavity. It's not what they do. They say, you know what, we've got a problem here. Let's, let's embrace this and let, let's deal with it. So I want you to find a place where that gap doesn't have that critical tone and something magic happens when that happens. Now the standard, like sobriety or achieving goals or making better grades or reaching a career goal or getting out of a depression, now those goals don't judge us. They actually become something that we can move towards because we're no longer in conflict with the goal. We're not getting judged by it. And we can move towards it. We can grow. We become curious. And we say, how can I get better? But only in the safety. So that's a space you need. And if you look in the book, all these symptoms, depression, anxiety, panic disorders, addictions, you know, relationship problems. What if, what if every couple stopped judging each other and said, you know what, I get it. You're, you know, you're struggling with your anger or this, that, and the other, but it's okay. I forgive you. 
I embrace you, and let's work on the problem. 90% of the problem is, you know, not even able to be touched because of the judgment and the shoulds and judging each other. But when we have the safety to begin to open up and do the skills in the book, we open up, we face our hurts and pains. Tell somebody you were abused. Process that pain. See, that's how do you have healing of the brokenhearted if the brokenhearted can't open up and make the pain available for somebody to touch it and heal it? How do you have correction in our ways and learning new patterns if we can't receive feedback and correcting one another like Proverbs says if we don't have the safety to do that? You know, there's this big phrase out there, you've got to forgive yourself, or whatever that means. I don't know exactly, because we're not the judge anyway, but I know what it means. That basically, it's saying, get off of your case and just say, this is me, and then receive forgiveness from the outside, and you start to internalize that. Well, also the same thing for others. You'll never get over anything that anybody's ever done to you if we're not able to forgive them as well. It's a hard pill to swallow, but it sets you free. Because when we're holding unforgiveness, what we're doing is we're continuing to stay connected to the abuser internally. When we forgive them, we let it go, and we can move on. So I talked about the safe space. I want you to have that. But let me tell you one last point on this. There's a very critical safe space that you need. It's in your own head. So you also have to deal with the internal judgment, the critical voices, perfectionistic standards, comparisons, and begin to process pain and sin and failure in ourselves and others and have a space for that inside and room to grow. And then you'll find the changes that heal. He makes it all sound so easy, doesn't he? (laughs) Um, He is brilliant, and uh, listening to him is like a a little bit like drinking from a fire hose, isn't it? Um, I just want to unpack a couple of things. Uh, If you're in a life group, you can um, access that video again. In fact, if you need to, we'll make them available for anybody. But um, he talks about how the problem comes when there is a gap between where we are reality and where we would like to be. He calls it our ideal perfect selves. And whether we've experienced rejection or abuse or hurt because of other people or as a result of our own failures and mistakes, doesn't matter. Often it leads either, leads us to feelings of shame and guilt and all kinds of ways to, to, uh, to, to deal with that. And he talks about how as Christians we can get into this habit of just trying over and over to live up to God's standards and feeling guilty when we don't. And then finding ourselves distant from God. I wonder if you can relate to that, because I can. I find myself asking questions like, going going through a mind pattern like, I have messed up, I am not good enough, I need to sort myself out, or I need to take some responsibility for myself, or give myself a good talking to, and then when I'm in a better place, then I can go and draw near to God, because he'll approve of me. Is it just me, or does anybody else ever have those mindsets, those patterns? Oh, you're nodding, so I'm assuming that it isn't just me. We can lose sight, can't we, of the fact that the New Testament's assumption is that we will fail. That we will never make the standard, as it were. In fact, um, you know, I want to unpack that a little bit from a couple of verses in Romans. Um, A friend of mine said this once, uh, if I could only recommend one book of the Bible to read it would be Romans. It's the complete the most complete and amazing explanation of God's relationship with mankind. And we don't have time to dig into loads of it, but here's just three verses which, in a nutshell, I think, describe what's going on here, this gospel message that Paul is writing about. So in Romans 3, he says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standards, and yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. This gospel, this good news, is the power of God, he says in a different part, for the salvation of everyone who believes. Paul explains in Romans that because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his righteousness, or another word for that would be rightness, or you could think of that as a, his perfect score, that's now available to all of us. It's a free gift. And he goes on to explain how that works in this verse, Romans 6. He says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. That's what baptism symbolizes. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of his Father, now we also may live new lives. We are made right with God. And we are made right with God through our faith in Jesus. Let's just get this right. We're not made right with God because of anything we do. Okay? It's not about what we can do ourselves. It's about what Jesus did. And when we choose to put our faith in Jesus... We become a different person. We transformed. It says our nature completely changes. He says we are a new creation. Our old nature is put to death. That's what happens in baptism. That's what's symbolized. And then we come alive. Again, we've sung it this morning, coming alive. You took my place, your guilt, my grace. We've sung, in fact, every song we sang this morning, thank you, Graham, who chose the songs, every song we sang this morning kind of links in with this theme. You know, you turn my graves into gardens. We sang that too. Um, and then one more verse from Romans, the next, um, 6.14. And therefore, because of all that, sin is no longer your master, Paul says, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, we live under the freedom of God's grace. You see, Jews believed that if they kept the Old Testament law, then keeping the law would get them saved. That's how they would become holy. That's how they would get saved. And there were various ways to deal with sin through sacrifice. But Paul explains, actually, the law can't save you. It will never save you. It was never its purpose to save you. But it is there to show us that we need to be saved. And therefore, to encourage us to choose to live by faith in Jesus. And so whoever we are and whatever we've done, we can be made right with God. We can be made right with God here and now. And I guess a question I would throw out there, because people come to church for all kinds of different reasons, and some of you might have been coming here a while and others might not, but a question I would throw out is, have you at some point in your life wholeheartedly and unreservedly given your life over to Jesus? Because if you haven't, you know, today would be a great day for that. We can choose to believe in Jesus, we can choose to put our trust in him, and if that's where you're at and you'd like to talk some more about that, we'd love to talk and pray at the end of the service this morning. Maybe if you have given your life to Jesus, but you haven't actually um, been through the sort of physical demonstration of baptism, then again, now would be a great time to commit to that. We're actually planning, excitingly, an Easter Sunday baptism service. And if, you think in, if you're thinking, actually, yes, yes, I believe in Jesus, yes, I'm on that journey, but no, I haven't yet been baptized, come again, come and speak to us. We'd love to talk to you about that. And some of us have chosen to enter this life with Jesus, this new life, and we can and we should expect to be different because it does change our values, our outlook on life. It changes our approach to work and education and other people and moral situations and how we handle our finances and our families and our relationships. It changes everything and it changes how we deal with pain. 
Because I said at the begin, as I said at the beginning, pain is inevitable. It's unavoidable. But we do have a choice about how we deal with it and how we live in the light of it. And so one more set, passage from Romans, Romans chapter 8, uh, where he describes a little bit of what it's like now. He says, but you are not... And by the way, this is after 8.1 and Henry Cloud in the video, he said, don't forget the reality is there is no condemnation in Jesus. That's verse 1, and then he goes on to expand on that, and this is verse 9. He says, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are, not, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who don't have the Spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to him. That's what Paul says. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living in you. That should make you smile. Okay? It might even make one or two of us go hallelujah, but, I'll, you know, preach it or something. I don't know. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I mean, that's gold there. There's gold, absolute gold there. For those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, we do live in a certain amount of tension, don't we? We are saved. We are changed. We are a new creation. We are no longer sinners. We have God's spirit inside us, like it says. And yet, we also still have to live with the consequences of sin. Maybe it's our sin, maybe it's other people's sin, but whatever, we still have to live in the reality of that. That's hard. That's hard. That's where pain comes from. That's where that gap is that Henry Cloud was talking about. And so for one reason or another, we find ourselves carrying around to a greater or a lesser degree those effects of sin with us. Often, but not always, it relates back to our family of origin. Maybe one or more parent was absent for you, and it left you just questioning your identity. Maybe the safety and security of our homes was disrupted by divorce or breakup, and we've had to learn to cling on to just whatever makes us feel safe. Maybe our trust was broken by somebody close to us, and we've never really learned to accept trust again or get close to anybody again or, tr or trust anybody again. Maybe we've never actually known one of our parents and we just really scratch our head and wonder who we are. Maybe our parents were physically present but emotionally absent. Maybe we lived under a strict set of expectations or rules or a highly disciplined environment with very little love or affection or whatever. Maybe we were compelled or driven to achieve things as a child and it's just never stopped. Maybe we were abandoned or rejected or abused. Maybe relationships have just never worked out well for us. Maybe we've struggled to settle in a job or a career or just find something. Or maybe even, maybe we've been hurt by someone in a church. Someone in the congregation, maybe even a church leader. It might even have been me. By the way, if it is me, I'd love to talk about that. Give us a chance to at least talk about it. Maybe you've, had a, maybe you've got a hard decision Maybe you find it hard to choose to trust leaders again or to trust churches again or just to let go. I'll tell you a bit about my story. You see, my parents were physically and materially completely supportive. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. But emotionally, their input on me was quite limited. And it took me until my 30s to realize that something was wrong, that I just felt out of kilter emotionally. 
and I couldn't quite work out what it was. There are lots of things going on, but I'll give you one example that I don't think I've talked about publicly before. I have quite a vivid memory. See, we had quite an interesting situation. We lived next door to another family in the church when I was growing up, this is, and uh, it was a, a, um, a semi-detached house, and so we thought somebody thought it would be a great idea to knock out the wall in between the two houses, just under the stairs, and create a door. So it was a little bit like a community. So we would go in and they would come in. Right? I mean, it wasn't random like that. It wasn't free-for-all or anything, but it was just nice. We would share. And the people next door hosted a, a, a life group in their house. And loads of people used to come around to that life group every week, every Tuesday night. 30, 40, 50 people would sit in their lounge. It was a big lounge. And they would worship and they would um, do God stuff. And my parents would go and help. And because they were just next door, they didn't really need a babysitter or anything. Okay, and I have a very vivid memory of, and I don't, I'm, I guess I must have been seven or eight or nine or something like that, and I have a very vivid memory of feeling alone and abandoned in my house while my parents were next door doing life group and doing church with all their friends, and I could even hear them singing, you know, through the windows, and the summer the windows would all be open, I could hear, hear it all going on, and I remember lying in bed and crying, crying for my mum and dad, and them not coming. I'm not telling you this to make you pity me because I've been through a whole bunch of healing about this. But, you know, the impact on that, 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 the impact on that for me was a sense of abandonment which then popped up at different times in my life, in my teens, in my 20s, even in my 30s. You know, I had no idea what was going on um, but when Joe and I were first married, you know, we had the usual conflicts that most married people, all, all married people have when they're just coming together and um, Joe would maybe disagree with me, get a little bit frustrated. And I would immediately assume and subconsciously assume she was very cross with me and she didn't want to know me and probably she was going to leave me. Ridiculous. And Joe would say to me, it's not a big deal, we can talk about it tomorrow. And I would lie in bed, fearful and afraid, and potentially feeling, ab feeling that sense of abandonment. It took the encouragement of trusted friends and leaders to identify this pain in the first place. It, then it was a journey of talking to a counsellor and um, talking with um, people that I really trusted and prayer times. And I've had a number of Sozo ministry appointments over the years. And I do not feel the pain of that anymore. I'm free of that pain. It's not a problem. Although those feelings can emerge with me from time to time. When something happens like... There's some tension in a relationship that I really value. I suddenly start to feel a little bit fearful. I'm going to really lay my heart on the line here and say, as a pastor, when somebody decides that they want to leave the church, there are lots of great reasons for that. But I start to, ta it, for me, it taps into abandonment. And I have to be really careful that I'm not going there again in my own heart and just saying, oh, well, everyone's going to, you know. Because um, if, if I let that go down the natural place, I would start talking to myself saying, everyone's going to leave you, Nigel. You're, not going, to, you're going to be on your own again. You're not going to have the people around you that love you, that, need, that you need. And of course, none of that's true. And I've learned to deal with conflict, hopefully, in an emotionally healthy way. Um, but I do, every now and then, just become aware of those feelings and that sense for me. And whatever, that's my story, but whatever your story is, I want to encourage you. It's not wrong to feel pain. In fact, it's healthy to feel pain. And it doesn't stop us from 
being used by God. It doesn't stop us from getting close to Jesus. It doesn't need to. It doesn't stop us from living, um, doing the things that he did. It doesn't disqualify us from leadership or ministry or anything like that. But how we deal with it and what we do with it is so important. Because if we don't, we will stagnate and we will stop. We will not grow. Remember, he talks about truth, grace, and time. And there are three steps that I would love us to just think about as we think about processing pain. The first one is that we acknowledge there's something wrong. It takes humility, it takes grace and truth, it takes a good talking to ourselves about, it takes courage, especially, and and I'm just going to call this out, especially for blokes, okay? It takes courage to admit that we might have an emotional pain inside that needs some sort of dealing with. I know what it's like, blokes. We hide behind all sorts of masks, mainly football or technology or stuff like that. It took me until my 30s, and it took the, um, the input of some wise friends who, and also who were brave enough to have a conversation with me that said, I think you've got a problem here. Is it to do with your mum and dad? Perhaps you need to explore this. My, my advice around acknowledging is hang out with people who are wiser than you, who are more experienced than you. Ask for their wisdom. Ask for their insight. You know, whenever I meet somebody or I'm hanging out with somebody who is older than me and I've got time, I say older than me, older than me, more mature in the faith, more mature in leadership and wisdom. You know, what is it somebody said once? If you feel like you're the wisest person in the room, it's time to find a bigger room. (laughs) Because that's not a healthy place to be. Find some people who've lived life in, in any aspect or whatever more than you and say, so what's your secret? What's your trick? What have you learned along the way? How did you get to where you are? You know, what lessons have you learned? Um, What would you do in my position? And give them permission to speak into your life. What do you see in me that you'd call out? That's a brave thing to do. But it's really important to acknowledge that. The second thing is to accept that there's just no way. I've kind of talked about this already. We can deal with this on our own. It takes the humility. It takes truth. It takes grace of others and God. And that's what Henry Cloud talked about. You know, the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, they have a 12-step program. And the first three steps are these. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol or whatever it is that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity and we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. There really isn't any point in going on with the rest of those steps if you can't accept and buy into the first three. If you can't conquer them. When we accept that we can't bridge this gap on our own, then we can start getting free. And then we need to give ourselves some time. And as Henry Cloud said, it takes time for us to change because our old way of thinking is sometimes so ingrained that it just needs undoing piece by piece. It needs taking apart one piece at a time. And so healing isn't always instantaneous. In fact, it's hardly ever instantaneous. Mostly it's gradual and incremental. And we all need to find a place where we can be safe and open up and then we can start to forgive ourselves and we can receive forgiveness from others and we can forgive others as well. What does that look like round here? Well, to be honest, the first and most important place round here would be life groups. These are just places where we can talk or listen or pray, where we know and be known, where we have friends on the journey. Our life group leaders work really hard to facilitate welcoming and safe spaces. Now, that can take time, and it does require investment. You know, it's like everything. It's like all relationships. If you go to a life group, you will get out what you put in. 
you make an effort to be genuine with people, then most likely you'll find some good relationships and people will be real with you. Now, as a pastor, people sometimes come to me or to Joe or to some of our team and they say things. They say, this is what I'm struggling with. Um, and they tell us, you know, what their needs are. And sometimes they come forward for prayer. And I always ask people in the church, so what life group are you in? You know, and if they are in a life group, then I then have a conversation. How's that going? How are you finding it? And what I'm really trying to ask, I wouldn't perhaps use these words, well, there may be a word, is, is this a safe place for you? Is this a place where you feel you can be yourself? Because if you're not in a place where you can be yourself and where you can be open and honest and it's a safe place to do that, then we're not, you're not really going to get any further. And sometimes there are really good reasons why people can't find that, can't get into a group or they're in a group that's not really working Quite often when I really dig, I find out that people are in a group, but it's nominal. They kind of go along every now and then, but they don't really commit. And it reminds me of what happens at our house sometimes. I've said this before, but I am really not a gardener. In no way am I a gardener or interested. I'm not even interested in plants, okay? Sorry to you gardeners, really sorry. Nothing against them, just, just don't have any capacity. But Jo would like to think of herself as a gardener. And, um, and, and being, being Jo, she goes along, to, every now and then she'll have a bit of a session. She'll go, right, I'm going to the garden centre. And she'll go to the garden centre and she'll, she always goes to the, the hospital bit of the garden centre, you know, the nursery bit where they sell the cheap plants that are virtually dead, right? Um, uh, and Jo buys them up um, and she br- people are laughing. She's obviously not the only one. Um, and she brings them back with the, whole, with, the, with the idea of tending for them and caring for them and bringing the best out of them. And to be honest, most of the time she does as well. It's brilliant. But it's quite funny because sometimes she'll go and she'll bring these plants back and it'll be great, great, brought these plants back. In fact, yeah, it's just getting nice weather in it. I predict this will happen sometime in the next month or so. (laughs) Right? Um, And then she'll bring them back and she'll stand them outside uh, in the garden where they'll get rained on and stuff. And if I'm honest, not always, but sometimes they can stay there in the pots for some time. Right? Are there? I haven't even looked. Apparently there are some there now. If they're there now, they must have been there all winter. <laughs> right. This, this illustration is going even better than I thought. Um, because actually, they're not rooted. So it's not that they're going to die, necessarily. Some have, have they? Okay. I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt here. It's, but they're not going to have much chance of getting established, are they? Because they're not dug in. And they're not rooted. And we also have some plants and bushes in our garden that have done really brilliantly. I mean, such that we have to cut them back and they're sort of growing all over the place. And we can be like that, can't we? Sometimes we can be like plants in a pot, brought back from the garden centre, but not actually dug into the soil. And therefore, we're never going to really grow. Maybe we feel a bit stuck. Maybe we feel frustrated. On the flip side... I look around, I know many of you, I know your stories, and I know that you have been through some very difficult things and are going through some very difficult things. And I know many of you have made a really, some really, I've observed, we've watched, you've made some really good choices to dig in, to get stuck into a group, to do this with other people, to be on the journey. And we've seen you grow. We've seen people grow in all kinds of reasons. Now, look, if you can't get to a life group for practical reasons, you don't need a formal official life group. You don't need to join one of those people, although they're lovely people. You could do this yourself. All you really need is two or three friends. One or two other friends. Just get together, be honest, share, pray. You know, my advice is do it regularly and involve food, okay? And be consistent and be committed.
And lastly, we also have some changes that heal groups. So um, after Easter, these groups are going to start again. That's just like a, a life group. Put your hands up if you've been to one of our ch- ch- changes that heal groups. I'm not going to make you share, but look at that. That's quite a few people. And nod and smile at me if it was a positive experience. Yeah, great. <laughs> That's good. Bless. And those groups, uh, just like life groups, but specializing in this material, digging a bit deeper, and they'll be starting again after Easter. And these are great places to get rooted in. Now, I'm out of time, so I'm going to stop. Um, but I would love for us to have a chance to have some ministry. So why don't we stand together where we are? And why don't we just invite and welcome the Holy Spirit? And Laura, Joe, come up here.